Hello and welcome to this new episode of Public Segment, the Public Purpose Pod. As you know, in these types of episodes, which we call the brief, we try to condense a lot of information on a specific topic, idea, theory, or concept that we believe can be helpful to all of us in rethinking the world we live in. Because we do believe that the world can be changed for the better, one piece of knowledge at a time. Today's brief is about a school of thought, that is, the school of feminist economics. To explain what feminist economics is, how useful it's been, and why it's important for us to be aware of its tools, methods, and objectives, we need to start with a fundamental misconception that mainstream economics has been using and vehiculating in in its work that ultimately led to the emergence of the so-called feminist economics school. So theoretical and applied economic research has been just like many, many other disciplines, be it um, in the hard sciences, uh, medicine, uh, the social sciences, within academic research has been very much male-centric, androcentric. It ignores basically all and any kind of impact or influence that gender as a variable may have on pretty much all aspects of economic reasoning. What this has led to is, is pretty straightforward. It's led to a biased approach to not just the analysis, but also the design of economic policies and also all other policy areas that use economic reasoning as a foundation. Feminist economics, first informally, then later on in the 90s in a much more structured manner, wanted to change that. They wanted to change and to fight this bias and they pointed to it as a bias. Not accounting for gender leads to a bias towards male centricism. For decades now, economics has been built of not just in a false theoretical framing, but one that has had severe and sometimes disastrous consequences in people's lives. The feminist school of economics not only offered feminist critiques of mainstream economics, but, and most importantly, they've developed a proper feminist approach to economics. And one paper, if you want to learn more about this, and we'll put it in the episode notes, it's Julie Nelson's article titled Feminism and Economics, published in the Journal of Economic Perspectives in 1995, which basically tells us what is the thinking around feminist economics, what are the theoretical groundings, and what are the objectives. To give an actual definition of feminist economics, I'll quote from a great paper published in 2019. Again, I'll link to it in the episode notes. 
which defined it as an ethical political framework for social transformation and for the construction of an economy that works on the basis of justice and equality. This is very familiar and very coherent with what feminism as a movement is about. It, beyond just women, it is about minorities, it's also about the most vulnerable and marginalized groups in society. It is about bringing justice and equality across society for all groups, including women, if we were to see women as a group. In the same paper, the authors go on by writing, and here I quote again, the general objective of feminist economics is to transcend a reductionist, biased, and hierarchical vision and to create new economic concepts that place people's daily life in the center. And anyone who has ever taken an introductory class um, of economics at a university level, what we commonly called Economics 101, knows just how reductionist it is because it's been all about modeling rather than thinking and reasoning at least for the last say three or four decades so social transformation that is what feminist economics is pushing for social transformation for the sake of greater equality and to be fair that should be the goal of policymaking in general, especially in countries where societies are ailing. Feminist economists have been developing theories, um, tools, methods, um, and embedding gender as an actual lens in both the analysis phase of, of policies, whether potential policies or um, in the evaluation of existing policies, but also in developing and crafting new micro and macro policies. And yet, they're not used in policymaking. These are not tools that are favored by policymakers. And here I'm painting with a broad brush, but if we were to analyze countries' economic policies from a gender perspective, the vast majority of nations, regardless of their economic performances, um, if they're advanced economies, developing economies, most nations would fare very poorly. And that is a fair question to ask, why? Why is that? Why have we t haven't we taken advantage of these terrific tools to actually help us think policies that do not keep pushing for a gender bias? And I think it's important to point it out that there exist different branches within the school of feminist economics, different perspectives, different branches. And we won't get into this for the sake of time, but... Ultimately, what this is all about is the notion that gender is not something that we can afford to ignore. On the contrary, it is a fundamental category of analysis, a fundamental variable to take into account.
What does that actually mean? What does that entail? It means to look at the needs that are specific to women. We can't say these are the needs of the entire population, but rather these are the needs of women, which most of the time represent half of the of a country's population. It's necessary to keep studying, trying to understand and analyze existing inequalities between men and women. It also means, and this builds on what I said earlier in reference to this school of thought remaining faithful and building on the work of the feminist movement by advocating not just for women, but rather for all vulnerable groups, for all minorities within a society. It's a school of thought that pushes us to embrace an intersectional approach to analyze policies, to understand power systems, how minorities are impacted or interact with the powers in place. In the last briefing episode, we spoke about care work. Well, the feminist school is the one to whom we owe, having put the notion of care work at the forefront of policy talks. Today, we have organizations such as the International Labor Organization, which has disregarded this um, for decades, that is now advocating for new ways to value uh, care work in all its form, including domestic work, um, unpaid care work, etc. In short, feminist economics pushes us as researchers, as academics, policy practitioners, and as citizens to value what has been hidden and to use tools to try and bring that under the spotlight. So beyond economic policy, the way we have been organizing and structuring our economy, so thinking here about the foundational structures of our economies, has led to multiple and a very wide array of gender inequalities. Today, women make up the majority of part-time workers, and they're the first ones, more often than not, to take leave from their full-time jobs to care for their dependents, be they elderly parents, um, a family member that that requires more care and support in daily life, um, kids, newborn, infants, etc., Another concept that's been studied um, as part of uh, this school of thought and to try and fight uh, gender inequalities is the notion of time poverty. Women are more time poor than their male counterparts. What does that mean? They have less time for themselves because the care work that we've spoken about earlier in our previous episode the care work falls more onto their shoulders than onto the shoulders of their male counterparts. Within a household, they will be more likely to carry the burden of whether it be it household chores, uh, tending to family needs, to individual family members' uh, needs and preoccupations. 
So because of this time poverty, overall, women work more because yes, like we said last time in the previous episode, care work is actually work. So they work more, they rest less, they have this constant availability for others. This time poverty has an actual impact on their mental health, on their well-being, on how they can care for themselves. This time poverty also leads to something that has a very real impact on uh, a woman's ability to succeed in the labor market and therefore maintain her financial independence. They fall victim to de-skilling. That means the loss of certain skills or the inability to take part in upskilling efforts, which we know is necessary to remain competitive in today's labor market, regardless of the country you're talking about. So this is a, a very large impact, a disproportionate impact on women's lives, women's economic empowerment and financial independence. Feminist economics also helps us with one more thing. Because this is all about rethinking the way our societies function, bringing in more equity, more fairness, more justice, not be solely laser focused on productivity, on growth. It helps us also rethink the governing forces of our relations to each other of relations of power, how we interact in the workplace, within the household, within the home, or in the public space. More often than not, what we're seeing in today's world are these unfair relations that have been established that are a direct consequence of the extreme form of capitalism and of neoliberal uh, economics that uh, rules our economies in each of our countries. This school of thought wants to help us construct gender equal societies. So we believe that it's time policymakers stop being put off by the term feminist in the name and actually start spending more time and put in more willingness to use the tools and methods that these thinkers have honed over decades now. As for us, citizens of the global south, it can help us shift our thinking, start to account for a new paradigm because gender issues go beyond societal issues. This is a topic that we believe here at Public Segment is essential, that should be talked about over and over again, and greater awareness should be raised around this school of thought, but also how feminism should be a guiding light uh, in policymaking. Because of the importance of the topic, this is something we will re-engage with um, several times here at Public Segment. So if this is a topic of interest to you, please do stay on the lookout as we're cooking some interviews with 
incredible uh, renowned experts and feminist economists that will be dropping soon. Thank you for joining me today for this new episode of The Brief. I hope to have you with us again for next week's episode. Take care. This podcast is produced by No Policy. No Policy is an innovative research, training, and co-design center dedicated to working with governments, civil society groups, NGOs, and the private sector to improve public policies and redesign public services around citizens' needs and demands.